Amen. Acts chapter 8, we pick it up in verse 26. And we read, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip, opening his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they came down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in Azotus and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So in our last few studies, we've been introduced to this man named Philip. And, we look, and we've looked at his ministry that he had uh, there in Samaria. And just by way of a short recap, we saw that Philip, God bless you, we saw that Philip was a man of good reputation. He was full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And we also uh, noticed that he served tables. It wasn't the most glorious, most glamorous, most prestigious ministry. But when he was presented with a need, he was willing to step up and serve. Jesus taught in the parables of the talent that being faithful in the little would result in him giving us uh, and trusting to us greater responsibilities. And Philip had served the Lord faithfully in the things entrusted to him. And God gave him more opportunities to serve. We saw in Acts chapter 8, verse 5, Philip left Jerusalem and he went down to Samaria preaching Jesus. And in verse 6 of that chapter, it says the multitudes, not just a multitude, but it says multitudes, plural, of people. You know, a great many people heard the things spoken by Philip. In other words, they were listening to the things that he was saying, you know, as he preached about sin, the need for confession and repentance. 
you know, uh, resulting in uh, the forgiveness and reconciliation with the Father, receiving Jesus as your Savior, placing the faith in the finished work of cross. And as they heard this, they believed, and many were saved. And many were healed of their infirmities. And we, and we read that many who were demon-possessed were um, set free. And we also read and noted they all heard and saw the miracles that Philip uh, did uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, Acts 8, verse 8, uh, we read that there was great joy in that city. Now, last week... I want to set the record straight here. Last week, I said that this was the greatest revival that Samaria had ever seen, right? Yeah, that's not entirely accurate. Uh, a revival is a rekindling of the fire that has grown dim in the hearts of believers. These people have never heard Jesus preached before, right? And they've never heard that he was the sacrifice of sin. And to have a revival in the technical sense of the word, there first needs to be a, a revival, right? Can't have a revival before there's a Bible. So in reality, what is going on here in Samaria is really an awakening, right? A brokenness over sin and a deep longing for forgiveness. And upon receiving Jesus Christ as one Savior through placing one's faith in the finished work of the cross, resulting in salvation, it's then that a person is filled with the Holy Spirit and is, is, he, he produces this desire to know Christ in a deeper way. And along with that, there comes a, a desire to live for him, to live for his glory. So that's really what's going on down in Samaria. And in verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So if you happen to be reading the King James Version, maybe you're not, but if you happen to be, it says in the King James, and the angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip, right? But the correct translation is, as it reads in the New King James and all the other modern translation, it's an angel, not the angel. It's an angel of the Lord that spoke to Philip. This angel was just an everyday, run-of-the-mill, average angel sent to speak to Philip. And this angel tells Philip to arise, leave this awakening, leave this revival, the greatest revival that Samaria has ever known, and go toward the south along, along that, that road that goes down to Jerusalem, uh, from Jerusalem to Gaza, right? And Luke goes on to tell, tell us, he wants us to understand that this is desert, okay? Now, I don't know about you, but if, if I was in Philip's shoes, you know, I might have a few questions at this point. You know, okay, you know, let me get this straight. I'm supposed to leave this fruitful work of God, this radical work of God where people are being saved and go, where? Uh, I'm supposed to go towards the south? Listen, Angel Bob, you know, whatever your name is, can you give me a little more information? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Go toward the south along the road. Yeah, so you want me to go south along the road? I mean, just any old road? Yeah, yeah, just go south, right? You want me to head towards a specific city or anything? Uh, or just go south along some road. No, 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 I'm sorry. You're, you're to go, you know, along some road. That road that you're going to go down is from Jerusalem to Gaza. Listen, you know it's a desert, right? Yeah, I know. Well, Angel Bob, uh, whatever your name is, you know, if I, I would even begin to consider doing this, what you're telling me to do, why do I want to walk 35 miles south to Jerusalem to then walk along some road that goes down from Jerusalem to Samaria, or to Gaza? I mean, there are roads right here in Samaria that will take me down to Gaza. Why can't I take that road? And I think what, what the lesson here is, is there are times in our lives where God will speak to us and instruct us to do something that just doesn't make any sense, right? It's, it's during those times that we, we might be tempted to think, you know what, that's not God. Uh, you know, th no way that that's God. I mean, you know, it can't be a word for me. It, it can't be for now. You know, maybe it's for some time in the future. It's not for now. You know, that's just crazy. It just doesn't make any sense. And we must never forget the Lord's ways and reasons are often beyond our ability to understand. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, the whole thing just kind of reminds me of John chapter 2, the wedding at Cana. And you know the story. Remember, they, they run out of wine there at the wedding. And Mary brings this to Jesus, right? Brings the matter to Jesus. In John 2 verse 5, Mary says to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. You know, this happens to be the last recorded words of Mary in the Bible. And it's good advice. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, you do well to do it. And you'll recall Jesus told the servants to fill some water pots with water. He didn't tell them the plan. He didn't tell them what he had in mind. He doesn't give them, you know, the step-by-step -step instructions. They're out of wine. The servants knows it. And Jesus says, fill the water pots with water. And I love what it says in John 2, verse 7. It says, they filled the water pots up to the brim. The servants weren't just obedient to Jesus' Jesus's instructions to, fulfill, to fill the water pots. They filled them up to the brim, right? They were obedient to the fullest measure of their ability. They filled the water pots with water all the way to the top. They did all that they could do to be obedient to the command of Jesus. And you know the story. Jesus told the servants to draw some water out and take it to the master of the feast, and they did it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water that had now become wine, he didn't know where, the, where it had come from, but the servants knew where it had come from. 
And as you think about that story, let me ask you a question. When did the water turn into wine? Was it when the servants drew the water out of the water pot? Was it when they took it to the master of the feast? They walk it over and hand it to him? Or was it when the master of the feast drank the water that's now wine? Right? We don't actually know when it, that miracle took place. But we do know it occurred during the obedience of the servants. Right? Listen. That's when miracles happen. Okay? It's not just a nice idea for a Sunday morning study. It's not just something that pastors say to fill a sermon. It's just simply the truth. And I believe with all my heart, God wants us not only to know it, but I think God wants us to embrace it, right? He wants us to understand it. Miracles occur when we act in obedience, right? Now, back in Acts 8, verse 26, Philip is not told why he's supposed to go, uh, you know, down to, to Gaza. He's not told what God was going to do when he goes there. He's just told to go. And verse 27, we read, So he arose and went. Philip was obedient. He didn't waste, you know, any time. He immediately got up and got going. Right? If you're struggling this morning or this week, this month, this year, if you're struggling with determining what God's will is for your life, you need to know this. His will for you is to be obedient. Right? To do whatever it is he's told you to do. And to do it immediately with all of your ability. Right? Just one step at a time. God doesn't usually give us the complete picture right, or what he's about to do, right? He usually just gives us the next step that we're to take, right? Uh, and, and the reason I think, the reason he does this, I think, is if he were to give us the five-year plan or the 10-year plan, well, if he were to give us, you know, uh, tell us what it is that he's planning on doing, then there would be no need for faith. And it's faith in him that pleases him, Right? Also, I strongly believe if God were to tell us ahead of time all the things that he's planning on doing, you know, we wouldn't believe it. Or we would try to make some adjustments to that plan so it would make sense to us, right? You may not know this. If you don't know this, you might want to write this down. But God is not in need of our help. You know, he's not, you know, just, boy, I'm so glad Gary's here to help out. That's not the case. What he desires from us is obedience and participation. And when we're obedient and we set out to do what he's told us to do, that's when the Christian life, man, just gets incredibly exciting. G. Campbell Morgan said, if Christ is hindered, it's because some Philip is not willing to go. Right? Never follow the crowd. God forbid you ever follow a pastor. We need to follow the Lord and go where he leads. Verse 27, Acts 8, verse 27. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, 
This Ethiopia isn't present-day Ethiopia. This Ethiopia is just south of Egypt, and it, and it goes down to Khartoum, Sudan, uh, modern-day Khartoum, Sudan, right? And this eunuch was of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He's probably the second in command, second to Candace. And something else that we should understand, Candace is not the queen's name, right? It's a title, much like Pharaoh. The kings of Ethiopia this time were thought to be descendants of the sun god. And because of this, things like ruling the nation, uh, they believed was beneath them. So those duties of ruling the nation were delegated, given over to Candace, the queen of Ethiopia, or as we might say today, kind of the, the queen mother. At any rate, the Ethiopian church, was, uh, sorry, the Ethiopian eunuch was a very powerful man. He has great authority. And it probably means that he's very wealthy too. Uh, he's in charge of the queen's treasury. And we're told that he's come to Jerusalem to worship. Make it of it what you will. Personally, I think this guy is seeking the Lord. Not because uh, we read that at the end of the story. I think it's, be, you know, I, I think he's thinking the Lord, seeking the Lord. Because you know what? Ethiopia has plenty of gods of their own that he could go after. But he's traveled somewhere between 48 to 60 days to get to Jerusalem to worship. And, and oh, by the way, he was a eunuch. Okay? Very important. He's a eunuch. And he is not able to fully become a proselyte in Jerusalem because of Deuteronomy 23, verse 1. Deuteronomy 23, verse 1 says, He who is emasculated by crushing or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. So at best, he could only become a God-fearer, someone who could stand at the gates of the temple but go no further into worship the Lord than the court of the Gentiles. But none of this keeps him away. He's seeking to find something that's missing. He's seeking to satisfy, you know, some deep longing in his heart. So he goes to Jerusalem to worship. And it's probably his first time there because of who he is and the time necessary to go to Jerusalem to stay there and then to return, it's probably for him a once-in-a-lifetime trip. And when he gets to the, the holy city, all he finds there is laws, rules and regulations, and rituals. And none of them hold any answers for him. None of them satisfy the longing of his heart. So verse 28, as he's returning He's sitting in his chariot and reading Isaiah the prophet. And I think it's so cool of this guy. You know, he's returning from Jerusalem unsatisfied, yet still longing and hungering. What does he do? He turns to the word of God. He pulls out the scroll of Isaiah. And this scroll would have been hand copied on vellum and it would have been wildly expensive. In the meantime, Philip He's heading down the road to Gaza, not knowing why, not knowing what he's supposed to do. And at some point, he looks up and he sees not a man in a chariot. Get that picture out of your mind. 
he sees an entire caravan. Because this Ethiopian eunuch didn't travel alone. He didn't travel economy either. He traveled, you know, first class. He traveled, you know, in a way that was befitting someone of his position. He's surrounded with soldiers, servants, camels, oxen, sheep. And he has camels loaded down with spices and gold uh, in order to trade and do business while he's there in Jerusalem. And in verse 29, it says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake the chariot. And Philip didn't know who was in the chariot, but he was obedient in verse 27. And now he hears from the Lord what the next step is for him to take. And so verse 30, Philip ran to him. I tell you what, I love this Philip, man. I mean, you just got to love this guy. Philip doesn't just start walking in the direction of the chariot. I mean, he, his wasn't a reluctant obedience, right? He runs. You know, he doesn't just give a minimal, minimal effort. He gives it all he has. And he's told to overtake the chariot. So he shifts down a gear and he takes off. Imagine the Ethiopian's entourage. Think about it. What do you think that they were thinking when they see this guy running towards them? And then as he gets close, he just begins to run alongside of them, just kind of out of range in case they want to. I mean, they, 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 he, this Ethiopian's eunuch, he has secret service guys with him to protect him from just such crazy people like this. He's running alongside, just out of range. And the Ethiopian eunuch, he's so engaged with the scroll of Isaiah, he doesn't even notice Philip running up to him. Verse 30 says, So Philip ran to him and heard him reading uh, the prophet Isaiah. It was a common thing in those days. It was a common thing for people when they read the word of God, they would read it out loud. You know, I think it's something that uh, would be a great benefit to us today if we would return to that type of practice. There is a blessing in hearing the Word of God as we read it. Letting the Word into our lives through our eyes can then be reinforced by letting it in through our ears, right? Revelation 1, 3 says, Blessed is he, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. And the blessing that comes through reading here in this verse, where it says reads, the idea there is reading out loud, reading it aloud. There's a blessing that comes from hearing the word read aloud. So the Ethiopian eunuch, he's reading aloud from the scroll of Isaiah. And while uh, Philip is running parallel to his chariot, he says, do you understand what you're reading? You know, it's probably very obvious to Philip right now what God's doing, God has arranged this chance encounter, this chance meeting, which is not by chance at all. It's actually a divine appointment, right? It's a wonderful example, I think, of what God is willing to do. God will reveal himself to individuals that have a heart to seek him. And it's also an example of the doors that God will open to us if we're obedient. I mean, think about it. 
This Ethiopian eunuch, he's reading the Bible when Philip is told to overtake him. Philip knows right away, as soon as he heard him reading Isaiah, he knows, man, this is a God thing. This is going to be good. You know, if you'll pray and ask the Lord to open doors to share Christ with other people, he'll do it. It's actually what he wants us to do, right? We just need to be ready. We need to be alert. We need to be watching for open doors that he opens to us. And then we just need to be willing to take a step of faith and walk through the door when those opportunities come our way. And they will. They will come our way. God will open those doors. And it is amazing as we commit ourselves to him in order to be used by him. Well, Philip asked uh, him, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Isn't that a great question? I mean, it's not offensive in any way. And it gives the eunuch an opportunity to respond, an opportunity to open the door for more conversation, if that's what he wants. But it also gives him the opportunity to close the door, if that's what he wants. Philip is testing the waters. He's kind of knocking on the door, if you will, right? We see Jesus do the same thing with the woman of the well, John chapter 4. You remember the story as she's drawing water, he asks her for a drink. And she's surprised that he would even speak to her because he's a Jew, she's a Samaritan woman. And you remember Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He's knocking on the door. He's knocking on the door and she cracks it open a little bit. So he gives her a little more. Right? Jesus says to her, whoever drinks of this water that I give will never thirst. Right? But the water that I shall, uh, sorry, um, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. And with that, the lady's all in now. She's, she wants to know what he's talking about. She says, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst. And Jesus says, uh, goes on to tell her of the Father and then goes on to reveal to her that he's the Messiah and her life is changed forever, right? And I find this is a good model for us as we share our faith. We shouldn't walk into a dark room. Nobody likes, you don't like it, you know, for someone to walk in a dark room and just turn the lights on while you're sleeping, it's, it's uncomfortable. You don't want to walk in a dark room and flip those lights on and tell those people, hey, you're a sinner and you're going to hell if you don't repent. You know, I think Jesus gives us a great example in witnessing to the woman at the well. And that is that maybe we should talk to people first in order to find some common ground, right? Get to know their story by asking some question and give them a chance to open that door. So then we can share Christ with them effectively there. They're open to it. We should look for open doors instead of trying to break down doors. I see people breaking down doors so often. Here we see Philip asking the Ethiopian eunuch, right, a reasonable question. And you know what? The Holy Spirit's already been working on his heart, right? Working on his heart. And he sends Philip there to seal the deal, so to speak, right? In verse 31, it says, he, the, the Ethiopian eunuch says, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. 
God has given us his word. And it's written in such a way that we can discover the truths within his word on our own. But he, has, he also has a place for teachers. He's given us teachers to lead us into greater truths, deeper truths, deeper understanding of the word. But even with this, we need to be like the Bereans, right? Who received the word with all readiness, uh, they, but they searched the scriptures daily to see if those things that Paul was teaching was actually true. The Bereans are an example for us. They're a tremendous example. We're never to take the word of anyone, never to just listen to a pastor and swallow it, right? We're to check it out for ourselves. We're to take time to prove that which is being taught is actually true, actually according to Scripture. And the Holy Spirit is promised to show us, lead us into all truth. In verse 32, it says, the place in the scripture which the Ethiopian eunuch was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away and who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? So we know the Ethiopian eunuch is reading Isaiah 53 from the Septuagint version of the Old Testament. And we know that because of the way the passage reads. The Septuagint was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And his question of whom does the prophet say this of himself or, uh, or of another man is actually really a good question, right? Some Jews thought and taught that Isaiah was writing about himself. Others thought Isaiah was writing about Israel and how the nation of Israel would suffer. Some thought it was about the Messiah, but because they didn't like the idea of the Messiah being a suffering servant, many just rejected that view. But Isaiah 53 can only be written about the Messiah because Isaiah 53 says, he was wounded for our transgressions. And the Lord laid upon him the iniquities of us all. For he shall bear their iniquities. Right? And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressor. And in verse 34, the eunuch says to Philip, he says, I ask you, who's, who's, uh, uh, of whom does a prophet speak of himself or some other man? You know, talk about an easy pitch over the plate just to hit out of the park. So those are the questions you want when you're sharing Christ. And it says in verse 35, so beautiful, Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. The Ethiopian eunuch, unbeknownst to him, is reading about Jesus. And he asked Philip, hey, who's the prophet talking about? And beginning at that scripture, Philip preaches Jesus to him. What about you? What about you today? The Bible tells us the volume of the book is written about Jesus. Every word, every sentence, every verse, every chapter, every book, it's all about him. 
Are you able to open the Bible to any passage and preach Jesus Christ? You know, if, if you've been walking with the Lord for, you know, any number of years, you should be able to, honestly. And if you can't, why not? You know, personally, back in the day, my friends and I, you know, we took this as a challenge. You know, we allowed Philip to challenge us. We would just sit around and we'd open the Bible and point to a verse and just begin from that verse to try to preach Christ. It was great practice. And you know what? I would challenge you today. Don't be condemned if you can't share Christ from a random verse, but take steps to grow in that area, right? Become a man or woman of the word. Set your heart on being able to rightfully divide the word of truth. In verse 36, it says, Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Where did the Ethiopian eunuch get the idea that he should be baptized? I suggest to you that it's because Philip started in Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8, where the Ethiopian eunuch was reading, and he preached Christ to him, right? He told him how Jesus was born of a virgin how Jesus is a Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, how he lived a sinless life, how he was falsely accused, how he was beaten, spat upon, mocked, scourged, crucified between two thieves, was buried in a rich man's grave, how he had fulfilled hundreds and hundreds of prophecies. And then he told him how Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. And how he was seen by hundreds of his followers. Over 500 in one particular time. And, and I bet you he told him how Jesus told his followers to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Making disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I think Philip just laid it all out for him. And it was everything that the Ethiopian eunuch had been looking for. And he saw some water and he said, hey, look, there's some water right here. Hey, what hinders me from getting baptized? In verse 37, Philip said to him, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, if you look closely at your Bibles, you may have a footnote in regards to verse 37, something like verse 37 is omitted because it's not in the better manuscripts, something of that nature, but that's not entirely true. It's in enough of the manuscripts that it's included in this verse, right? Uh, included in this chapter. And it's not contrary to anything in the Bible. And that's why it's included in this chapter. In fact, it actually parallels Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, which says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's what's necessary for salvation. Those things have to occur. Let me say just a quick word about baptism, okay? The biblical recipe for baptism 
is believe and be baptized, right? And that's why we reject the practice of infant baptism because an infant isn't able to believe the gospel and then consent to baptism, right? But we get baptized out of obedience. That's what Christ is, is called us to do is to be baptized, not in order to be saved, Baptism is just an outward expression of what has occurred in the heart of a believer, that we've died with Christ, that we've been buried in the waters of baptism and rose to new life with him, a new creation. And if you've never been baptized after believing, my wife, she was a Christian for a long time. She got baptized as a little kid, but she didn't understand the gospel. So she got baptized later in life. But if you were baptized, right, but... It was not after you believed in the gospel. Hey, you need to be baptized. You know, let's talk later after the study and make arrangements to get you baptized so you can be in obedience to the word of God. In verse 38, so he commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Notice that it says that they went down into the water. Right? Some churches sprinkle water on those who are being baptized. And, and you know what? I don't know. Philip could have sprinkled the Ethiopian eunuch if he wanted to. But it says he went down into the water. Let me, um, you know, let it speak what you want it to speak to you about. To me, baptism is going down into the water. The Greek word translated baptism actually means submersion. And I think it's important because baptism is a word that's used in regards to uh, other things, right? I don't want to be sprinkled with the Holy Spirit. You know, I want to be submerged over my head, baptized in the Holy Spirit. In verse 39 now, when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. It says that the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. The Greek word translated caught away there is harpazo. It's the word translated into Latin. The word is raptus. It's where we get the English word rapture, Right? Philip was there one second, and the next he's gone, right? It's not the only time we see such a miracle in the Bible either. You might recall John chapter 6 where the disciples were in the boat, and they caught in this terrible storm. They were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus came to them walking on the water. And we're told that when Jesus came near to them, they were afraid. And Jesus said, hey, it is I, do not be afraid. And we read in John chapter 6, verse 21, then they willingly received him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going, right? One second, they were in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, three to four miles from the closest shore. And the next second, they're safe and sound at their destination, right? Keep your fingers here. In Acts, and turn with me real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
Let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 54. Are you there? 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 54. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump will sound, the dead will rise incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now, just turn, um, you know, a few more books to the right, 1 Thessalonians 4, and read with me, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 15 uh, to 18. We get a little bit more detail on this subject, 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 to 18. It says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from uh, heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and the trumpet of God, it's the trumpet we just read about, 1 Corinthians 15, 52, and the tr uh, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's the word harpazo, raptus, rapture. We shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. One second in the midst of the storm and the next safe and sound at our destination. And Paul continues verse 18 here, 1 Thessalonians 4. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Man, the rapture, the, the harpazo, the being caught away in verse 17, the idea of the rapture is to be a comfort to us as believers, knowing that one day, one day very soon, I believe, the Lord is going to comfort His church. That's a tremendous comfort, you know, as well as a strong encouragement for us to get busy about the business of sharing Christ with those that don't know Him. So back in Acts chapter 8, verse 39, we continue... Now, when they come out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. So the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. He didn't need Philip anymore. Why? Because he has Jesus now. That's all I need is Jesus. But I wonder if this Ethiopian eunuch, I wonder if he kept on reading in Isaiah. Because he's coming up to Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 5, which say, do not let the son of a foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of the sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. I mean, how sweet that would have been 
for this eunuch to just keep on reading and read those passages. Verse 40, Acts chapter 8, verse 40, and Philip was found in Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Philip was found in Azotus, which was the ancient city of the Philistines. Uh, we know it as Ashdod. And then Philip headed north, past Samaria, and on into Caesarea, where he lived for the Lord. He raised four uh, virgin daughters who were prophetesses. And uh, Philip was living there for Christ, preaching the word, raising, in the family, uh, raising a family for the next 20 years. And then in Acts chapter 21, verse 8, we read that he's called Philip the Evangelist. And it's the only place in the entirety of the New Testament and in the whole entire Bible for that matter that that title is used of someone. Allow me to make a couple quick, well, actually a, a quick application, okay? I can recall speaking to a lady some years ago. She was a believer and she said to me that earlier in life, her and her husband would have liked to have been missionaries. But then she said, you know, but I know we're right where God wants us. Listen, right? More now than ever before. I'm convinced. It doesn't matter what you do to receive an income, whether you're a teacher, a manager, you know, a contractor, or even a retiree. We're all missionaries on foreign soil. This world is not our home. The United States is not our home. And thank God California is not our eternal home, huh? You know, Philip served tables and God raised him up for greater things. And because he loved God, because he loved Jesus Christ, he was willing to follow the spirit and leave the, a spiritual awakening to go to a place that didn't make any sense. You know, he was willing to leave the many under the direction of the Lord and minister to the one, right? He had no idea leaving Samaria that, that uh, potentially this could result in an entire country coming to Jesus. You know, there are believers in Jesus Christ there in Samaria uh, today that trace their faith in the God of the Bible back to this event. My question to you this morning is, are you willing to be obedient when God calls? You know, or are you likely to say, that's not God. You know what? That's, that's not me he's talking to. That's, that's for the next guy. That's crazy. Not now, Lord. You know, you and I may never be someone who leads 3,000 people to Christ at one time like Peter did on the day of Pentecost. But you and I, most likely we'll have the chance to lead one person to the Lord. Just one here and there. You know, one building the kingdom, one soul at a time. Will you, will you see the opportunity when it comes? Are you looking? Are you praying for it? Are you asking God to open doors and give you divine appointments? Edward Kimball. Have you ever heard of him? Edward Kimball. He had a burden for one of his Sunday school students to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. So he went to see him uh, at a shoe store where he worked. And he led that kid to Christ. 
right there in the shoe store. And that young man's name was Dwight L. Moody. And he went on to become an evangelist whose ministry rocked two continents. While preaching once in the British Isles, Moody spoke at a small chapter that was pastored by F.B. Meyer. And in his sermon, Moody told an emotionally charged story of a Sunday school teacher he knew who personally went to every Sunday school class and won the kids to the Lord. And that message changed F.B. Meyer's ministry, his entire ministry, inspiring him to become an evangelist. And over the years, Myers, he came to America several times and he preached. And once in Northfield, Massachusetts, uh, a confused young pastor was there sitting in the back row of the church. And he heard Myers say, if you're not willing to give everything to God, are you willing to be made willing? And that remark led J. Wilbur Chapman to accept the call of God in his life. And Chapman went on to become one of the most effective evangelists of his time. And a volunteer by the name of Billy Sunday helped set up Chapman's crusades. And he learned to preach by watching uh, Chapman. And Billy Sunday eventually took over Chapman's ministry, becoming one of the most effective evangelists of the 20th century, right? In great arenas around the nation, Billy Chapman... Uh, sorry, Billy Sunday's preaching turned thousands to Christ. And inspired by a 1924 Billy Sunday crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina, a committee of Christians committed themselves to reaching their city for Christ. And they invited a man named Mordecai Ham to hold a series of evangelistic meetings in 1932. And one evening, a lanky, 16-year-old kid sat spellbound by the message of this white-haired preacher who seemed to be shouting and waving his finger at him. Night after night, that, that young man attended, and finally he went forward and gave his life to Christ. And you know that young man, and that teenager's name is Billy Graham. And Billy Graham has doubtlessly communicated the gospel of Jesus Christ to more people than anyone else in the history of the world. Now think back with me and remember how these sequences of events got started. It all started with a nobody named Kimball. Nobody's ever heard of, of Kimball. But one day he had a concern for one of his students, D.L. Moody, and he visited him in the shoe store where he worked. And doing that one simple thing Kimball changed the world. Millions upon millions have uh, been affected by this decision of his to go to that shoe store. And millions more will continue to be impacted. Can anything like that happen today? Could God do something like that through someone like you or me? Through our witness? If God is telling you to speak to somebody or to do something that seems, you know, out of the ordinary, don't fight it, right? He's doing something. Just walk through that door. You don't need to know all the details. Miracles occur when we're obedient. You may or may not know this. When we lived in Germany, it was hard for me to hear the Lord 
tell us to move back to the States. I mean, even thinking about it now, it chokes me up. Now, my kids grew up in Europe, and we had a, a, a wonderful ministry there. It was just great. But God told us to move back to the States, and we obeyed, not knowing uh, what would happen. Then, when, then I got a phone call um, asking if I would be interested in pastoring a small church in Truckee. You know, I didn't know what we were in for. But you know what? We walked through that door the Lord opened for us because I believe that we'll see miracles if we'll just be obedient to Him. I'm determined to walk through every door the Lord opens to us. Last year, when we went to Hungary uh, to take uh, part in the ministry that I used to be part of when we were in, in Europe, you know, uh, we're taking a small team this year too, but we went and took part in the English camps that that ministry uh, used to do that, that myself and my partner, we used to put on these English camps. English is the draw, but sharing Christ is what we would do. And the parents were okay with it because it gave their, their kids a chance to speak to a native English speaker. But last year, maybe I told you the story, I don't know. But last year, I saw this lady on the third day of one of the camps. And, and I hadn't seen her before. So when I noticed her, when I spotted her, I knew something was up. Unbeknownst to me at the time, she came because she heard I was there. And she walked up to me and she asked me, do you know who I am? And I looked at her and I said, no, I'm sorry. I, I don't think I do. And she pulls out her phone and she shows me this picture. I don't know if you can see it very well there. Right? And I looked at it, and I recognized her as the one that's standing right in front of me. And I said to her, Aniko? And she said, yeah. And she told me how she gave her life 13 years earlier at this camp. This is at Dover, England. She gave her life to the Lord 13 years earlier, and now she has two Christian daughters uh, that, she, she, that love the Lord. She's married to a wonderful Christian man. She's uh, a teacher in a Christian school. She's serving uh, in her church. And she thanked me for sharing Jesus with her. Now she's impacting others for Jesus. You know, all I did last year and 13 years earlier was just walk through the door that got open to me. And, and I can tell you in 44 years of walking with the Lord and 28 years of ministry, we've seen miracle after miracle. But it takes faith. We don't always know what the Lord's up to. We don't always like the circumstances or the situation that, that the Lord leads us into. But I wouldn't trade this life or the things that God has done uh, in our life. I wouldn't trade those things, this life that I have in Jesus for anything that the world has to offer. Because miracles occur when we're obedient. And I'm not to that place where I'm tired of seeing miracles. Are you? Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for your word. The instruction that we have in your word. And Lord, I just pray that your word would, your word would stir us. That we would respond to those things that you're speaking in, in our hearts this morning. Lord, that you would give us boldness. But I think of the, the proverb says the righteous are as bold as lions. Lord, give us boldness 
Lord, help us to walk through open doors. Help us to just pray and ask you to open doors for us to walk through. Lord, and then use us for your glory, drawing people to yourself, pointing them to Jesus, seeing lives change for eternity, not knowing but believing that those small things that you allow us to take part of will have an everlasting, eternal impact in ways that we could never imagine. Lord, we love you. We give you praise. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.